We want to turn to Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Those coming in will certainly want to get sheets that go along with tonight's study. We're going to try to cover the whole chapter uh, in this lesson. Very briefly, the first lesson we saw in Ecclesiastes 1, that this book was written by Solomon. Solomon reigned as the king of Israel for 40 years. He was a really good king with a good heart towards God for about 20 to 23 years. Uh, he seemed to serve the Lord faithfully. And in that first part of his reign as king, he asked God that God would give him an understanding heart. And the Lord gave him more wisdom than any human being has ever known. And he wrote uh, thousands of proverbs and songs, and some of them are compiled for us in a tremendous book called Proverbs. And uh, just an amazing book of wisdom, the depths of which are not found in any other book in the world. But as he started going along in his reign, something happened. Uh, he had a tremendous physical weakness that was for women. He loved many women. And the scripture says they turned his heart after their gods. And uh, as a result, he took a long journey away from the Lord. And he was, he, was almost a, he was almost two different people entirely. Uh, when you just look, when you step back and look at his life, he was so righteous and so wise at one point and then so foolish and um, so empty in the second part. He was, just, he was like almost two completely different human beings. And he just let the world get to him. He got away from the Lord. And so he began to live a humanistic, secularistic life, looking for fulfillment outside of God. And then when about two years left in his reign, after about 38 years as king, it seems like his senses came back to him, and he began to record this book of all the things he tried while he was away from God, looking for satisfaction and fulfillment and uh, finding none. In uh, chapter 1, uh, last lesson, we saw that he uh, pursued uh, um, wisdom, worldly wisdom, that is, and uh, he thought that uh, uh, he could find um, fulfillment in uh, searching out worldly uh, wisdom. And um, here we see some other things that he tries in chapter number 2. Let's get into it. Verse 1. I said in mine heart, Go to, now I will prove thee with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure, and behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of mirth, what doeth it? So I want you to notice the uh, next thing that he tries is um, laughter. In chapter 1, he tried labor, first of all, finding fulfillment by working, uh, that is outside of the will of God. There's nothing wrong with working. We ought to labor. Then he tried worldly wisdom. That didn't fulfill him, those two things in chapter 1. Now we're going to see about uh, four things in this chapter that he tries that do not satisfy. And I hope you'll learn wisdom from it tonight, especially you young people, and just take the Word of God black and white tonight and say, well, if he tried that and it didn't fulfill, I'm not going to go that path. But I want you to notice the third thing he tried while being away from the Lord was laughter. Laughter, and that's what the word uh, uh, mirth means. Mirth means merriment, enjoyment, ex especially expressed in laughter. That's what the word mirth 
means. Merriment, enjoyment, especially expressed in laughter. Now, in the last book that he wrote when he was wise, walking in the light of God's counsel, he said in Proverbs 14:13, even in laughter the heart is made sorrowful, and the end of that mirth is heaviness. Uh, when he was walking in the light, he said, you know, it's not worth it to follow after laughter and comedy, to find fulfillment. And the end of that mirth, that merriment, that enjoyment that is brought about by comedy is heaviness. The word heaviness is synonymous with our word today, depression. Uh, he said that if you look to comedy and if you look to merriment uh, to try to be the salve of your human spirit, you're just going to get more and more depressed. From what I understand, comedians are very depressed people in most cases because it doesn't fulfill. It does give us a jolt, and I, I read in the Sword of the Lord something about laughter and how it affects every single organ of your body and does make you feel good for a few moments, but it's, it wears off very quickly. And, uh, but people who pursue that all the time end up in depression. Well, he seems to have forgotten what he himself wrote in Proverbs 14, verse 13, he said, Go to now, I will prove thee with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure. Behold, this also is vanity. Even though he wrote it earlier, he said, Well, I'm going to try it anyway. Verse 2, he says, I said of laughter it is mad, and of mirth what doeth it? And uh, so we need to recognize that comedy is emptiness. It's madness. What doeth it? That question, verse 2, literally means it didn't do anything for me. It didn't do anything for me. I think laughter is like taking aspirin for cancer. It, uh, you know, that aspirin may initially relieve a little bit of pain for a little bit of time, but the cancer is still there and it's getting worse. Now, certainly it's okay to have a merry heart as believers, but you know, the health of our insides, that is our spirit uh, and our uh, soul, are really improved by doing the very opposite. Turn to chapter 7 for a minute. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 3 says, Sorrow is better than laughter. For by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. See, it is better for us in the long run to have sorrow, to have mourning, and I believe this is a great picture when we get to it in chapter 7, of the church. The church is the house of mourning. Back in the old days, they used to call the altar the mourner's bench. The mourner's bench. It's where people used to come and pray, and, and they would come to the mourner's bench very, very sad, very, very guilty, very condemned, very convicted, very sorrowful. And they deal with whatever was in their life, and then they go back glad. They go back glad. And we have a great truth here. Sorrow is better than laughter. I mean, it's better for us to be sorrow, sorrowful and broken over our sin and ask the Lord to forgive us and to cleanse us and to repent and to have contrition and a broken heart. And then it, when we get right with God, 
someone once said, first we're mad at what God says, then we're sad because we finally submit to it, and then when we get right with God, we're glad. We're glad. And so we see a lot of wisdom there that it's not found in comedy, and, and, and we need to be careful about uh, looking to that. It can actually be a source of depression. Well, now we've got a strange verse in verse 3. It says, I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting mine heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly. Now here in verse number 3, there's kind of some strange words here. Uh, he says in verse 3, he tried to combine wine with wisdom. Now, that might seem kind of foolish, but I can remember something even more foolish in my life. Some of you are old enough to remember this. But back in the 60s, there was a, a great deal of false doctrine going around in the universities and colleges of our day in regards to what were called mind-expanding drugs. And I think, the, I think the man who really promoted its name was Timothy Leary, Dr. Timothy Leary, and he was really promoting on campuses that by being occupied with drugs, by using drugs, it would expand our minds beyond their limits, and we would be able to learn more if we were on drugs. He actually taught that. And uh, they expanded their minds all right. But um, that, that was a philosophy. Now, that may seem strange in the 60s, but I think this is what Solomon was saying, too. He said, you know, maybe if I got out of my element, if I had something else take control over my mind and heart. It might loosen up my inhibitions. It might enable me to think better, think straighter, come up with better conclusions than if I'm just confined by uh, societal peers and pressures and, and morals and so on. There are actually people that think this way. Does not the Bible say that in the last days there will be great deceit on earth because of sorcery? You can especially read that in the book of Revelation. It talks about sorcerers. Uh, that means drug users, uh, those who enhance their lives by drugs. Uh, they're on drugs. And uh, we live in a country, a lot of people are on drugs, and a lot of people are on alcohol. He says, I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting mine heart with wisdom. In other words, I think that if I just get on some wine, maybe I'm missing something, it'll acquaint mine heart with wisdom. Strange, but we saw it in the 60s and we saw it in the 70s. All kinds of bizarre music came out in those days and bizarre philosophies. And, and I believe we are still suffering in our country uh, because of the likes of that. Verse 3 says, And to lay hold on folly till I might see what was that good for the sons of men, which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. So now he tries folly. This is the fourth thing, or the fifth thing, rather. He's tried to find fulfillment in labor, second in wisdom, in this chapter, in laughter, number three, and four, number one, number four, wine, and now in folly. Well, wine and folly are usually partners uh, that lead us away from wisdom and uh, away from uh, understanding. And uh, he, uh, he didn't find it there either. Now he turns to materialism, and we've got a tremendous text on verses 4 through 11 about Solomon's pursuit of materialism. Certainly, that's where he would find fulfillment. If he could possibly gain everything 
that his heart desires. And so he did. God just seemed to step back and let him have everything that he desired. In fact, he would go on to say here, as we're going to notice, uh, that nobody else on earth after him would ever have what he had. Well, let's see the description. I made me great works, verse 4. I built me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards. I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruits. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. Also, I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of kings and of provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. Now, he got houses, it says here, vineyards, gardens, orchards, fruit trees. He had pools to irrigate and water the trees, servants and maidens. He had them do all of his servile work. He never had to do his laundry or cook meals. He had cattle, great and small, silver, gold. It says he had peculiar treasures, which I, I think we're referring to rare treasures, such as antiques, things that kings could accumulate. Um, men singers, women singers, I'm sure he had the means to hire the best singers of the day to come and entertain him. The best instrumentalists and instruments of the day were all his. And uh, besides that, he had, still had people coming to him uh, asking wisdom. And he was impressing people and able to uh, justify everything he was doing. And people can do that. You can justify anything if you want to. And he was able to try and justify his life, and people still came to him advice. And he had everything that his heart could desire, his eyes. Verse 10, And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Now, if the story ended right there at verse 10, we think, wow, what a success story. What envy of the world he would be. And we must kind of place ourselves into this story because all of us have probably gone through that season or will sometime for you young people in your life where you, we convince ourselves that the way to happiness and joy is through materialism. You know, if I could just have more money, if I could just buy more things, if I could just get this, but it's an elusive dream. He said in verse 11, Then I looked on the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit. And we described that last week as being emptiness and depression of spirit. It made him miserable, and there was no profit under the sun. I found this to be a completely unprofitable uh, life. 
Um, wisdom, you know, we can learn from others and the mistakes they make. We don't have to go down this same path. We don't have to go out into the world and try the world and see if by gaining money and gaining things we can be satisfied. We can just take Solomon's word on it and say, well, here's a man that got more than I'll ever get, no matter how hard I try. And he, he said it left him empty and depressed. So I'm not going to go that route. I'm not going to go that route. I want to encourage you to apply that uh, to your life. Verse 12 says, And I turned myself to behold wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do that cometh after the king, even that which hath been already uh, done? So here we see that during this time he was trying to mix wisdom with madness and folly. Uh, the word madness here means wild enthusiasm or excessive excitement. The word folly is defined as action or conduct usually considered immoral or criminal. So we see Solomon here is what Hosea describes in Hosea 10 and verse 2 as having a divided heart. A divided heart. He's got wisdom on one hand that he's holding on to. And on the other hand, he's looking for wild enthusiasm and excessive incitement. And he's embracing folly, which is actions and conduct that usually considered immoral or criminal, especially with all the womanizing that he did. And he says, For what can the man do that cometh after the king? Uh, a king can do anything he wants. Uh, no one can outdo him. And so Solomon did it all. He said, the guy that comes after me, uh, no one after Solomon would ever do any more than him. And so I think we ought not to even try. Verse 13, then I saw that wisdom excelleth folly as far as light excelleth darkness. There are nuggets of great truths in this book. I know it is kind of a depressing book to to read, uh, and, and you just look at him and say, boy, if it happened to him, it could happen to me. Uh, to pursue, try to pursue satisfaction in the world is such a waste of time. But then some of his conclusions are just amazing. Verse 13, then I saw that wisdom excelleth folly as far as light excelleth darkness. All of us would rather choose to live in the light uh, than in the darkness. And uh, whether literally or figuratively, and he said, folks, don't, don't go after folly. Don't go after those things that are immoral or criminal, those things that just bring wild enthusiasm and excessive excitement. And then a strange statement in verse 14. By the way, back in verse 13, then I saw that wisdom excelleth folly as far as light excelleth darkness. I wonder if he was reminded of the proverb he had written earlier that we stress is really one of the main Proverbs of the book, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7, where he said, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. I mean, he knew that earlier in life, and now he, he had it proved by these horrible experiences he went through. Then I saw that wisdom excelleth folly as far as light excelleth darkness. Uh, there's no contest, in other words. It's not even close. All of us tonight ought to pursue wisdom. 
Verse 14, the wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walketh in darkness. Now, what does this mean? The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool uh, walketh in darkness. A uh, wise man's eyes are in his head. He, in other words, thinks it through. He contemplates. He meditates. Uh, he uses his head. But the fool uses his feet. He just follows the crowd. He just uh, follows the, the, the path of darkness that everybody else uh, is following. I want to encourage you to have your eyes in your head. Jesus said, if your eye be single, your whole body shall be full of light. And I want you to, to, to see, use your head and see. God gave you a mind to think. Think on your own. See, watch where you're walking. And uh, don't be like the fool that walketh in darkness and just follows his feet. Their feet be swift to run to mischief, the Scripture says. The rest of verse 14 says, And I myself perceived also, and he begins a thought here that runs through verse 16, And I myself perceived also that one event happeneth to them all. Then I said in mine heart, As it happeneth to the fool, so it happeneth even to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For there is no remembrance of the wise more than of the fool forever seeing that which now is in the days to come shall all be forgotten. And how dieth the wise man? As the fool. <laughs> Here's another one of those, what could be a depressing conclusions if you don't study the rest of this book and the rest of the Bible. He says, you know, no matter how wise a person is or how foolish a person is, it seems like they all come to the same conclusion. Uh, I myself perceived also that one event happeneth to them all. You know, like today, I've seen good people killed by drunk drivers. I've seen bad people killed by drunk drivers. I've seen good people die of cancer and bad people die of cancer. And uh, good people seem to have their marriages fall apart and bad people have their marriages fall apart. And good people go bankrupt and bad people go bankrupt. It just, it just seems there's no difference. Seems like there's no difference. That's what he's saying here. Then said I in my heart, verse 15, as it happeneth to the fool, so happeneth even to the wise, uh, even to me. And why was I then more wise? Then said I in my heart, this also is vanity. Good people get robbed. Bad people get robbed. Good people get beaten up. Bad people get beaten up. Verse 16, for there is no remembrance of the wise more than of the fool forever. Walk through an old cemetery. Look at the stones. Tell which one was a wise person, which was a fool. You couldn't. You couldn't. Their generation came, their generation went. You have no clue which one was wise, which one was foolish. Verse 16 says, For there is no remembrance of the wise more than of the fool forever. Seeing that which now is in the days to come shall all be forgotten. Remember Isaiah 65 says there's going to be no remembrance of those things about this life in the future. And how dieth the wise man? As the fool. But you see, one of the things that he gets to later in the book 
that he doesn't bring out here. And if we just stopped here tonight with this thought, we'd say, what does it matter how I live then? Well, the answer is eternity. Because God's keeping the books. Uh, God's recording our life. God's recording our decisions, our choices. Uh, God's recording the fruit of our labors. And so on. So this is one of those places in the Bible where you've you got to read on uh, through the rest of Ecclesiastes, which we can't do tonight in this lesson, or you're going to say, that you're going to come to the conclusion, well, why does it matter how I live? Now, this produced hatred for life and hatred for labor in Solomon. Verse 17, Therefore I hated life, because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me, for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Yeah, I hated all my labor. So verse 17, he hates life. Verse 18, he hates labor, which I had taken under the sun. Why? Because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. And who knoweth whether he shall be a wise man or a fool? Yet shall he have rule over all my labor when I have labored, and wherein I have showed myself wise unto the sun. This is also vanity. Therefore I went about to cause my heart to despair of all the labor which I took under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is in wisdom and in knowledge and in equity, yet to a man that hath not labored therein shall he leave it for his portion. This also is vanity and a great evil. Now remember, the whole basis for this book is the words under the sun. And uh, the... The book is written almost from a humanistic, secularistic point of view, which should inspire us not to live that way. It's, it's, these are horrible conclusions. He said, man, I'm going to work my whole life. I'm going to labor my whole life. And what good is it if I, if I pour all the wisdom I possibly can into making right decisions and right financial decisions and, and, and uh, all the decisions of my life, that I'm just going to leave it to somebody else. And who knows what he's going to do with it? So what he's saying here in this chapter basically is if this life is all there is, man, what good is it? I hate life and I hate labor. But again, we've got to apply the rest of the book and the rest of the scriptures. Remember, I think it's in the last book of the Bible where Jesus said, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give unto every man according as his work shall be. You see, there's, there's the blessing to us is that we never have to get to this place of despair that Solomon did when he was living for himself. Because if we live for God, uh, our works are going to last forever. Uh, our life and our labor is going to last forever. And uh, so we're, we're reading this book right here tonight in its context as a man who's basically giving this argument, saying, look, if this is the only life there is, and if this is all there is, who cares whether you live a wise life or a foolish life? It doesn't matter in the end. You're going to be buried in a cemetery, and nobody's going to remember whether you were wise or foolish. But thank the Lord uh, we don't live in this kind of a setting. Hebrews 6.10 says, For the Lord is not unrighteous to forget your labor of love, wherein you have ministered unto the saints and do minister. Isn't that great? God is not unrighteous to forget your labor of love. The world may. The world may look at your tombstone someday or mine and say, I wonder what he did. And I wonder if he was wise or foolish. But the world will forget your life and my life when our generation has come and gone, but God won't. God will not. 
So this is depressing. Believe me, things pick up though a little later in the book, all right? Verse 22. For what hath man of all his labor and of the vexation of his heart wherein he hath labored under the sun? For all his days are sorrows and his travail grief. Yea, his heart is taken, yea, his heart taketh not rest in the night. This is also vanity. Solomon's saying here, life and labor without God, what is it? It's just vanity, it's emptiness, it's vexation of heart, it's depressing. He's saying, so don't live that way. Verse 24, there's nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw that it was from the hand of God. For who can eat? Or who else can hasten hereunto more than I? In other words, who can possibly say, I've done more than Solomon. I've had more than Solomon. I've learned more than Solomon. I've possessed more than Solomon. I've worked harder. I've enjoyed more fruits of the benefits who can eat or who else can hasten thereunto more than I? For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner he giveth travail to gather and to heap up, that he may give to him that is good before God. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. So that's what I was trying to build up to in the whole chapter here. In the end, all that's going to matter is what God thinks, what God has given us, there is a difference between the good man in verse 26 and the sinner. So I want to encourage you just to take an inventory of your life where you are tonight and, and, and ask yourself in your heart, are you pursuing fulfillment, a fulfillment in life through labor, fulfillment in life through worldly wisdom, fulfillment in life maybe through comedy, mirth, uh, merriment, fulfillment in life through wine, through Fulfillment in life through folly. Fulfillment in life through materialism and worldliness. Uh, fulfillment in life uh, through labor. Uh, this, this is a very, I don't know about you, but it's a very depressing chapter to read. But it comes to that conclusion. For God giveth to man that is good in his sight wisdom, knowledge, and joy. What did the other guy have throughout the whole chapter? Vexation of spirit. Vanity, emptiness, misery. But to the sinner he giveth travail to gather and to heap up that he may give to him that is good before God. In other words, the sinner is going to lose everything he has and give it to the person who's good. So, well, Pastor, I don't see that in life that much, that perception where the sinner gathers and heaps up but ends up ends up giving it to the person who's good. You know, in the next life, the Lord says, take from him that hath not and give to him that hath. Do you know that? In the next life, there are people who, are, who have lived for God who are not only going to receive the reward for their own labor, but God is going to take from other people what he would have given to them but they decided that they didn't want to work for God, didn't want to live for God, 
Jesus is going to say, take from them that have not and give to him that hath. And so those of you that are living for God, do not be discouraged. Uh, do not be down. Don't quit. You just be faithful. Uh, because our payday is coming someday soon. And if we're faithful, he's going to pay us in heaven. And not only are we going to receive what God has given us for our labors, but what he wanted to give others, he's going to say, well, here, I'll give it to you instead. Now, that's vanity and emptiness for the person who lives a sinful life, verse 26 says, but to us it would be a blessing. So compounded blessings in heaven to those that labor for God and, and live their lives for God. All right, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word today.